in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Well, today, Chris, I thought we would talk about something that happened uh, recently in the news, especially at the time that we're recording this, since it is uh, currently uh, mid-October-ish. 2012. Uh, 2012. And... Uh, and Earlier this week, as of the time we're recording this, uh, a fellow named Felix Baumgartner did something pretty phenomenal. Yes. He, Actually, I think he, he fell. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He fell a lot. Yeah. Um, he fell more than any man has ever fallen before. Right. In space, no one can hear you fall. Yeah, that's um, true. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you said that it's been in the news. I-, I think this is going to captivate people's attention for a long, long time. Because yeah. I don't know that anybody is ready to better this brand new record well, that and, he set. And, and this record was set more than, uh, you know, 40 years after the last one. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been a while. Uh, so, what what we're talking about is the Red Bull Stratos jump. Yes. So, sponsored by Red Bull. There's this crazy uh, attempt to break some world records. And many world records were broken. Actually, three. Three mm-hmm. out of the four that they were aiming for, mm-hmm. uh, they broke. If you're curious about the one they did not break, it was for longest free fall. Uh, and I think they were going by longest as in uh, uh, time. Really, mm-hmm. they were looking at the time. It's kind of interesting because, um, according to what they were, they were going by uh, the the person who had the the record for the highest jump previously, which was a, uh, a an Air Force, a United States Air Force colonel named Joseph Kittinger. Mm-hmm. And, I heard uh, his name pronounced Kittinger on the uh, on the news report that I okay. saw. I don't know that that's... Kittinger. Um, I well, don't know. At any rate, he in in uh, he he did several jumps for the air force to kind of test what this how how could a human survive in a high altitude jump mm-hmm. and um one on one of those jumps he fell for 4 minutes and 36 seconds before deploying his main chute however uh he did use a drogue chute which is a, a smaller chute not meant to uh, to slow you to the safe speed, but rather to help guide your descent because mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll get into why that's important. But he had that deployed in his jump. However, uh, if you're really going to be a stickler, then uh, two years later, that was in 1960, two years later, so 1962, Eugene Andreve jumped from uh, an altitude of around 83,523 feet, uh, which is around 25,457 meters. Uh, uh, over Russia, and um, he fell uh, for 80,380 feet, or 24,500 meters, before deploying his chute without using a drogue chute. So uh, depending on the way you look at it, his is the longest freefall because there was no drogue chute deployed. Anyway, uh, Baumgartner's fall did not last that long before deploying his chute. It was four minutes, 22 seconds, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. So he did not break that record. However, other records, he definitely did break. And uh, it was a a remarkable achievement 
on multiple fronts. I mean, uh, just human endurance to be able to handle that kind of uh, 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 battering about you get in a jump of that size, as well as the technical uh, uh, uh achievements that we made in order to make this possible. So we wanted to talk a little bit uh, about why this is such a challenging thing to take on mm-hmm. and the kind of stuff he used to achieve it. And, uh, and of course, this was a huge effort. I mean, this is not one guy going up in a plane and jumping out uh, and deploying a chute. I mean, he there was there was a huge team in place to bring this about. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, as Jonathan has already mentioned, this is not an, an effort that was backed by a government. This was completely private. Yep. Um, which, uh, you know, in, in some respects makes things easier. Um, and yes, they, uh, they didn't use any kind of spacecraft. They did have a, a pressurized capsule yep. that was, uh, lifted into place by a very, very tall balloon. Yeah, actually, the balloon got less tall as it got as it got uh, further up in the atmosphere because of the changes in pressure. In fact, that's probably the first thing we should talk about is the air pressure and why, uh, you know, why there were so many things needing to be in place in order for him to have a, a successful jump. Um, air pressure changes at elevations, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, it makes sense. You, you figure when you think about the earth and you think about the atmosphere around the earth, well, if you're on the surface of the earth, you've got more atmosphere above you pressing down on you than you would if you were, oh, quite a bit of the ways up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, at sea level, you have one atmosphere of pressure. Now, if you're wondering, well, what does that mean in terms of, you know, other units? Uh, that's, that's just under 15 pounds per square inch or – and you're welcome, Europe, uh, that I did this – 1.03 kilograms per square centimeter. <laughs> but one atmosphere is a much easier way of saying that. So that's at sea level and that's the average. Mm-hmm. OK. So even, even at sea level, that number changes somewhat, but the average is that number. OK. Uh, now, at 35,000 feet, which is you know around where a lot of – uh, commercial air flights might be somewhere around in that area, yeah. uh, which is uh, 10,700 meters. See, I, I did this all the way around. It's about three and a half pounds per square inch. So mm-hmm. remember, at, at sea level, 15 pounds, 35,000 feet, around three and a half pounds. Uh, that, by the way, is uh, 0.25 kilograms per square centimeter. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, Or 0.24 atmospheres. Uh, at around uh, 62,000 feet or 19,000 meters, the pressure has reached a point where it's it's so um, so much less than what we experience that we can have some pretty serious health risks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we've evolved on this planet to uh, to be able to survive in the conditions. Uh, of our environment. So, you know, we're used to having this certain amount of air pressure. Beyond that, we don't do so well. And if the pressure is too light, then our, our blood can actually start to have a uh, gas form within it. And then it'll, will expand, uh, which is uh, called ebulism. Mm-hmm. And it is not a good thing to have happen to you. So, uh, that's why pressure is a big deal, and of course we haven't even reached the the height of the uh, where the jump was because the goal for this jump 
was to jump out at around 120,000 feet. Uh, in actuality, he got all the way up to around 128,100 feet, which is 39,045 meters, uh, which is just over 24 miles up, or 39 kilometers for those of you who wanted to, you know, not divide that number of meters there. Um, it took about two hours for him to get there. But at that, at that elevation, air pressure is less than one pound per square inch or less than 0.07 kilograms per square centimeter or 0.07 atmospheres. So you're talking about very little air pressure at all. And because of that, both the capsule he was in and, of course, the suit he was wearing needed to be pressurized so that he would not have uh, any major health risks when he uh, when he jumped out or just mm-hmm. from the ascent. So the capsule was uh, was pressurized first. And uh, it was done that way so that he would not have to pressurize his suit uh, from the from the ground as they started to ascend. Um, by having it in the capsule, it took some of that that uh, that power that energy that was needed off the the actual suit, which is good. You want to preserve that as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Once they reached the float height, which is where the balloon was not going to rise any higher, it had mm-hmm. gone as high as it was going to go. Uh, then that was when it was time to open up the door and start off the jump. Well, that, that's where they had to depressurize the cabin and pressurize the suit. Actually, mm-hmm. pressurize the suit first, obviously. Right. Yes. Very important step. But then depressurize the cabin so that they could open up the door. Because you can't open that door otherwise. There's too much pressure on the inside. It's just like if you're in an airplane and yeah. um, you have the emergency exit. The emergency exit, if you are at altitude – it's going to have so much tremendous amount of pressure on the inside because the the airplane itself is pressurized while the outside is not. You can't open that door. Mm-hmm. You're just not physically strong enough. Same thing here. Um, once it was depressurized, he could open up the door. His, his suit had been pressurized. Uh, and that was what gave him that safety of uh, at least from the environment. I mean, there's so many other things you have to worry about. But as, for, as far as air pressure goes, that was how they took care of that. And, of course, all the different Parts of his suit were sealed so that uh, there wouldn't be any leaks. Uh, like the uh, the gloves had uh, these these rotating locks on them so that uh, you could uh, uh, have them uh, airtight with the suit as as well as the helmet. Um, this was really important because uh, uh, Kittinger had a jump where he had a hole in one of his gloves, and um, apparently the the glove ended up. Uh, uh, for the pressure, it ended up sticking to his hand enough so that it wasn't a huge problem. Uh, and he did not report this to ground control because of fear that they would cancel the jump. And But by the time he landed, uh, there was a problem. His hand started to swell and apparently swelled to about twice the size of normal uh, due to the uh, the changes in pressure and 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 so that's something you don't want to have happen mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. can avoid it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. The uh, the suit was actually made by a uh, company from Massachusetts, David Clark. Yep. Um, they and, they uh, made suits for uh, the Jiminy missions. 
as well as uh, space shuttle missions, Gemini missions. I don't know. If that sounds like a, an internal joke, it, it sort of is. you got to uh, listen to some of our previous <laughs> space podcasts. We, we did a series on the Gemini missions a few years ago, and one of the uh, uh, astronauts from that time kept pronouncing it Gemini, and, and Jonathan's uh, blood pressure just kept rising every time he said it. Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was... Um, uh, same company that did that. Uh, yeah, they've they've made uh, all kinds of suits for uh, aeronautics and space uh, for decades now. Yep. So, um, you know, they're a they're a well known, well respected uh, firm to uh, to have done that. And obviously, uh, since the jump was successful, n- no spoilers intended. But uh, you know, well, it's they, nice to know. I was about to say. You can't really spoil something that already happened. Um, well, no, if somebody's like just now hearing about this. Yeah, well. Uh, then you, you have been hiding in a hole. You can you can watch actually watch this live when it happened. And uh, from about an hour into it, I, I turned it on after it had been on for an hour because the mm-hmm. ascent took just over two hours mm-hmm. to get to the right uh, altitude. So yeah. um, Jonathan told me about how he felt when – uh, Bumgardner opened the capsule door and, and started to step out. It yeah. went, it, they call him Fearless Felix. That's the nickname he is. Yeah. Sheer terror was what was going through me. Yeah. Uh, seeing his, uh, yeah, well, we'll get into it. But but um, the, the, to go back to the suit, it also could oh. withstand temperatures as low as minus 90 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 68 Celsius. Mm-hmm. Or over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.8 degrees Celsius. So um, also very important because, of course, uh, at that uh, elevation, you were also talking about very, very cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, there were parts of his fall that were colder than others. Uh, It was interesting because it it actually warmed up a little bit from – I forget what – Friction? No, 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 not friction. I'm just talking about the ambient temperature. Oh, 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 sorry. Actually warmed up. Like there was a point in the atmosphere. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was watching and they talked about it too. They said, well, you know, closer to the sun. I'm like, really? You're not that much closer. The sun's 93 million miles away. I think a few feet isn't a huge difference. No, I imagine not. But it was interesting. You could watch and the temperature gauge was going up. It went really low and then started creeping up again just slightly. Not like – it wasn't like skyrocketing. But at at the – uh, height where he was jumping at the temperature was around uh, minus 10 Fahrenheit, which is minus 23 Celsius. So I blame cows. Yeah. Yeah. Methane production. Is that yep. what you're talking about? Okay. I was trying to see where you're going there. Note, not based on scientific fact, mostly because I just wanted to say cows. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. So the, the suit had to be able to withstand these cold temperatures as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. His suit also had um, uh, a very. It looked a lot like the spacesuits you would see, uh, you know, in any NASA presentation, or if you watched any of those launches, it looks a lot like those. Actually, it also looked a little bit, um, just from appearances' sake, uh, sort of like the stuff that race car drivers wear. Yeah, probably yeah. mostly because the you know uh, the names and the decals and things. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it also had um, sponsors. It also had a, a sun visor that uh, that Felix could put down or, or up if he needed to, uh, and the the visor itself was heated uh, mm-hmm. in order to have it uh, you know, avoid icing issues. You know, obviously, yes. if you're if you're going through super cold temperatures and you've you know we give off a lot of water vapor as it turns out, mm-hmm. and it could, there could be a lot of icing problems both on the inside and outside of a suit. And uh, in fact, that was one of the issues that 
almost uh, seemed to be a big problem during the um, the ascent because mm-hmm. it looked like, according to Felix, that the faceplate was not heating properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they, I think the first time I heard about that was when he was around eighty thousand feet or so, and still rising, obviously still climbing. Uh, and and then you hear the people on who are speaking during the uh, the whole ascent. You know, the people who are relaying information to the audience, mm-hmm. saying everyone here is trying to find out what options we have. And I'm like, wow, what options do you have? And the the option, the biggest like last ditch option thing you know in mm-hmm. order to get him back to earth safely you 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 ditch the jump right but the capsule itself was connected to the balloon and had and could uh, disconnect and had its own parachute yeah so the you know worst case scenario uh, uh, action would be to cut the the tie to the balloon mm-hmm. to deploy the parachute on the capsule and have the capsule come down to earth. Now that was not ideal. Uh, mo- well, first of all, you're you're aborting the jump, so that's not ideal. But right. also, it would have been a bit of a rough landing. Uh, now the the capsule itself had uh, crash sections built into it, crash mm-hmm. pads, to absorb some of that impact uh, if it were to. Um, to have to land now, and and of course they did detach the capsule at the end of the jump anyway because they wanted to retreat the capsule, but um, uh, you know it's it definitely would not have been a soft landing. Yeah, it would have been a little rough, and it's interesting because the inside of the capsule again looked very much like the Jiminy capsules. <laughs> um, uh, it was uh, it was a a tiny little thing really. The the capsule was six feet tall or one point eight meters, mm-hmm. and it weighed uh, twenty nine hundred pounds or one thousand three hundred fifteen kilograms. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, you take a look at this and you're like, wow, this looks like it would fit, you know, in a in a special casing on the top of a rocket. It really did look like some of those early NASA spacecraft. Mm-hmm. True enough. So, should we talk about the? Uh about the jump? Sure. Um, I mean, there's other there are other things. Actually, before we talk, talk about, about the jump, the... I want to talk about the balloon. Oh, the balloon. Okay. I want to talk about the balloon because the balloon is crazy. Uh, yes. So it has its own story. Actually, five or so of them. <laughs> well, the 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 weird thing I thought the the strangest thing to me about the balloon was how incredibly thin that material was. Yeah. So uh, it's it was made out of polyethylene plastic film. Mm-hmm. And it was point zero 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 eight inches thick. That's pretty thin. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty thin. Or point zero 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 two, or point zero 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 two centimeters thick. There we go. All right, I gotta get that number right. Um, but yeah, super super thin. Uh, they called it a forty acre dry cleaner bag. <laughs> because it was essentially made of very similar stuff. Now, if you're thinking like, how could that possibly bear the weight of this capsule, which you know weighs quite a bit? Uh, the re- the way they did it was they used this uh, load tape that mm-hmm. was connected to the balloon, and the load tape was actually what bore the load of the capsule. Right. Uh, the tape also had in it a special reflective material. So that the balloon would show up on radar, mm-hmm. uh, very important for any 
aircraft in the area. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, uh, the the mission was working along with air traffic controllers to make sure there wouldn't be any problems on that. Because you know you can't really direct where a balloon's going to go. Right, right. You are uh, you are at the mercy of the winds. Mm-hmm. Although this was over the uh, the desert in the southwestern United States. Yeah, it was near. So there weren't um, a lot of populated areas. Right, near Roswell, New Mexico. So it was really just the military and aliens right. that were there. Exactly. Um, uh, by the way, I'm totally joking. The whole <laughs> Roswell alien thing is absolutely ludicrous. But anyway, um, so yeah, and that balloon was created by ATA Aerospace. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, here's some here's some stats on the balloon some, mm-hmm. some, uh, some for people who are curious about how big this was. Yeah. So uninflated. It was uh, 592.41 feet long, or 180.6 meters. Uh, now, at the height, once it was uh, inflated, and which takes about an hour, takes about an hour to inflate this balloon with helium. They used helium because it's a uh, non-flammable. Very important. Much. And if, if you've been wondering why there's a helium shortage, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, talk about because that's a big balloon. That's to fill a big with balloon helium. to fill up with helium. Yeah, yeah. The LHC might have a few things to say to Felix. I've um, explained to your kid why she can't get a Dora balloon. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. Blame it on Felix. So uh, yeah, just get the Dora balloon filled with hydrogen. I can't imagine uh, anything bad happening from that. Take don't, it to a birthday party. Don't do that. <laughs> hydrogen is highly flammable. That's why they went with helium. Blow out the candles. Uh, so. <clears throat> The height of the balloon once it was fully inflated at takeoff was about 550 feet or 167.6 meters. And um, once it reached its altitude, the height was more like 334.82 feet or 102.1 meters. Because, again, as it got higher up in the atmosphere, as the atmospheric pressure decreased, the balloon started to um, – the height began to decrease, but its its diameter increased. It began to round out yeah. quite a bit. Because when you first looked at it, it looked like a teardrop. Yeah, it was kind of uh, tall and skinny, really, compared yeah. compared to what we uh, think of when we do think of birthday party balloons. You right. know, I mean, those are teardrop shaped too, but not. This is a lot longer than that. Right. So once so it, it got up to the got the, mushroomier. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely rounded out as it got higher up. And uninflated, it weighed a svelte 3,708 pounds or 1,682 kilograms. You just wanted to say svelte. I did. And, uh, yeah, and it also had a vent so that it could vent off helium. Now, this is also really important. You know what bugs me? No. Those other balloons. I think they're. No, it didn't. It didn't vent anger. It oh. vented helium. <laughs> yeah. Now the uh, the 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 reason for the vent is very important because the helium was expanding as the balloon was climbing. Right. So, at uh, there does come a point where there's a possibility that that expansion could damage the balloon itself and tear right. the balloon. So the balloon needed to have a way of venting out excess helium in order to uh, avoid that. And in fact, they did vent helium at least once or twice, especially once they passed that 120,000 feet mark because that, again, was their goal, and they went right by it and kept on going. Um, so, you know, there was a point where there was some concern about making sure that the the balloon and capsule maintained integrity Yeah, because it was starting to go beyond what they had uh, planned. So as, as, as long as they didn't run into any wire coat hangers because that seems to be the uh, downfall of most dry cleaner bags. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
That's exactly the problem. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> and, and they also had some pretty, some other pretty cool equipment yeah. uh, involved in this. They had nine high definition cameras uh, that were mounted on both the suit and uh, on and inside the capsule. So they had cameras mounted on on these arms pointed back at the capsule, so you could get these mm-hmm. great views of the capsule as it was going up. Um, also, as the door opened, which that's the part where I was terrified, and I'll go, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but there were also cameras on the suit, so you, they could capture footage during the actual yeah. uh, jump. Mm-hmm. And plus, beyond that, they had a helicopter that was uh, using a, a camera mounted on a stabilization gyroscope uh, to track Felix's movements, mm-hmm. and they had ground cameras on these huge trucks with these. Uh, these enormous um, uh, bases that were motorized so they could track the progress yeah. of the balloon. And it it's phenomenal to me because you think that's a balloon that is more or less 24 miles up in the air. Yeah. So to have a camera that can capture something that's that far away is pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, you think about that for a second. You're like, well, yeah, I've got a digital zoom on my camera. <laughs> Yeah, it goes up to one point seven, and well, this camera can capture something that's twenty four miles away. Well, tracking the balloon was a whole lot easier than tracking Felix after yeah. he stepped out of the capsule. Right, he's much. First of all, uh, yeah, he doesn't he's have smaller. all that reflective. He's smaller, um, although not that much smaller. It's a six foot tall capsule. <laughs> he was also moving a whole lot faster. Yes, yes, because he was he was going downwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was that was definitely. I mean, the the footage that they captured was pretty phenomenal, and especially when you sit there and think about the challenges involved, and and beyond that, not just capturing the footage, but transmitting the footage, getting right. that live feed from the capsule. You're thinking, wow, that's they had to dedicate a lot of bandwidth, uh, you know, yeah. in order to get that information from the capsule to the ground and stream it out live. And in fact, they had uh, three dedicated video downlinks with built-in redundancy to get that information down to the ground. Mm-hmm. And then they had a fiber optic network on the ground to process that information. And they had live switching so they could switch, you know, different cameras at different times to give the best uh, angle or the best camera experience at any given moment. Yeah. Which was pretty, you know, this was, it, it was clearly something that, the whole media side of it was there was a lot of thought put toward it, which is well, sure you know that that's, that's the age we're living in. Yeah. So, uh, getting to the actual jump, once they got to the point where uh, they had reached the right altitude, uh, they had to go through a, a a very long checklist to make sure that everything was prepared before the jump, and that involved uh, pressurizing the suit. Disconnecting the suits from the suit from the uh, the capsule because mm-hmm. thing, the, the capsule had its own oxygen supply because again at that elevation uh, the atmosphere is so thin that we would not be able to breathe up there so uh, the capsule had its own oxygen supply and then uh, the suit did as well so you had to detach the suit from the capsule because clearly you can't jump if you're still got all these hoses connected well you can but it's not recommended no it would not go well. So there was that. There was the whole uh, depressurization, opening up the door, moving the chair around quite a bit. Uh, the chair inside the capsule could move forward and backward a little so that he could reach various controls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the point where 
He had to move the chair back. He had depressurized the capsule, pressurized the suit. The door had opened, and then they used an exterior camera to capture the moment where he moves. He's lifted his his feet up so they're above the threshold of the little capsule door. Mm -hmm. And then he moves the chair forward, which means his feet come out of the doorway and over nothing. And that's where I freaked out. <laughs> At that point, he was uh, he had to stand on a, uh, a a platform that was about the size of an average skateboard. Yeah, looks so, like it. Yeah, and there he is in a spacesuit, standing mm-hmm. on a skateboard-sized platform, holding on to these uh, rails that are on either side of the capsule door. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, once he had the go-ahead. He let go and started falling, and I I don't think I breathed until uh, <laughs> until he stopped spinning. So here's one of the issues about jumping at that that height. So again, atmosphere is really thin, mm-hmm. right? You don't immediately start to slow down. In fact, the atmosphere is so thin that you will go faster than you would if you jumped from uh, you know any other height. Like you know, you don't have anything pushing against you or not not as much pushing against you because there is atmosphere out there. It's just not mm-hmm. as much. It's in the stratosphere at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and in case you're wondering, I uh, I happened to catch a news report in which uh, they had asked him and uh, Felix said that he didn't look down. He was looking straight out, which at that, at that altitude, I'm not sure how you could avoid it because the earth is – you could see the, the, curvature <laughs> the, of the, the curvature of the earth and you're the, going, okay, that's – that's, sort of down. That's something else that's kind of interesting is that the curvature, you can see it at that altitude. Mm-hmm. But uh, the if you look at the footage from the jump, mm-hmm. the curvature is incredibly evident. Like you, you, yeah. you, it's just it's 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 obvious. The reason it's obvious is because of the camera lens. Yeah. It's a wide angle camera yeah. lens. So it artificially has bent the edges. So it looks like the the curvature is much more. It looks like it's much further up than it really yeah. was. Um, but in reality, that you you could you, from what I've been told, you can see the curvature at that altitude. It's just not as dramatic as what it appeared as on the uh, live stream. So mm-hmm. just wanted to br- point that out. Yeah. But but at that altitude, he he um he moved uh very quickly into a very fast speed, thirty two feet per second per second, or uh, nine point seven five four meters per second squared. That's the acceleration of gravity, people. If yeah. you if you are if you are at all interested in physics, you will memorize that and use it all the time. Yep. So he he rapidly uh, increased to that speed. Yeah. His like, his his top speed uh, is estimated because we at the time of the recording of this podcast we do not have the final uh, information, but his top speed was estimated at eight hundred thirty three point nine miles per hour, or one thousand three hundred forty two point eight kilometers per hour. Mach one point two four. Yeah. So Mach being the speed of sound, he yes. had broken the sound barrier. The first human to do so, un uh, unaided by any sort of vehicle. Yes, and um, that's another interesting point. That the interview with the scientist that I had watched said that. Um, uh, the speed of sound is a little different at that altitude too. Right. Sound sound travels. You know, the speed of sound is dependent upon the medium through which it's traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound will travel at a different rate of speed depending on if you are in. Uh, you know, it'll travel at a different rate of speed from sea level to 120,000 feet. Uh, it'll it travels at a different rate if it's through water or through a solid. So um, yeah, it's one of the. And in fact, we should 
might as well, this is a little bit of a tangent, but light's the same way. Mm-hmm. Light travels at, you, you, you've heard of the speed of light being a constant. That's right. true, but that's talking about the speed of light in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the speed of light will change depending on what it's traveling through. Now, most of the time for us as human beings, that change is uh, imperceptible to mm-hmm. us without incredibly sensitive measuring equipment. So to us, it's, you know, you know, going at at the speed of light or just a hair under the speed of light is mm-hmm. effectively the same thing for us. Yeah. And I, I've tried to observe that myself at my home, but I keep getting dust in my eye every time I open that little bag. And it doesn't seem like there's any light in there at all, but it may be the dust. I can't tell. Oh, right. Inside your vacuum. Yes. I got you now. So you should go with a Dyson that's the bagless. It's clear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, uh, it's funny because when you get the idea of somebody jumping out of an airplane, you're doing a, a traditional skydive. Um, uh, most of us have a pretty good idea of what that quote unquote looks like. You, you, you stand in the door, you jump out of the plane and you instantly put out your arms and legs and you just sort of glide until you feel like it's time to open your chute. Then you pull it and go. Well, Felix wasn't as graceful, but it wasn't his fault. <laughs> Yeah. See, as it, as it turns out, that whole atmosphere being thinner thing kind of affects the way you fall at that yeah, he, height. Yeah, he couldn't use air resistance to help orient himself because that's one thing. Experienced skydivers can do all sorts of really cool maneuvers yeah. uh, while they're while they're diving. And, and it's all due to the whole air resistance and being able to use their bodies to angle mm-hmm. in certain ways. Either they can do a – you know, they can, they can uh, try to resist – uh, or, or change their wind resistance, like like reduce it to a point where they're falling very, very, very fast. Yes. Or they can try to increase their uh, wind resistance by increasing the surface area as much as possible. Mm-hmm. They can and, do somersaults and other kinds yeah. of tricks. But at that altitude, there wasn't enough air, not enough atmosphere right. to be able to do that. So there wasn't there wasn't that level of control. And so Felix did start spinning. Uh, and if you watch the video, that also was terrifying because you could see him spinning around and around. And you're like, okay, I sure hope he's able to maintain consciousness, and not black out because, uh, uh, Kittinger said, you know, he blacked out during his fall yeah. because of a similar issue. And that's why the drogue shoot was so important was to, it was actually, I think it was not the 102,000 foot, Jump, but the previous one that Kitten, Kittinger did, mm-hmm. where he he blacked out, and so that's why the drogue shoot was so important for him uh, in his uh, in his highest jump. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you could see that spinning happening, but then once once he did start hitting the the uh, next levels where the atmosphere was starting to to increase in density, he was able to orient himself into a traditional skydive. Uh, um, yeah, the position, del- the delta position. Yeah, I've heard it called. And and uh, is that what it's called? That's right. interesting. I've never gone skydiving, so I know very little about it. In- although, and internet, this is just between me and you. <clears throat> Do not tell my wife, because she would flip out. But I am planning on doing a skydiving jump, possibly during CES 2013. You are not. I am. Really? Yeah, me and uh, Ayaz Akhtar of This Week in Tech are thinking about doing some skydiving during CES 2013. Uh, are don't, you going to parachute into the uh, into the, the show into hall? the Las Vegas Convention Center? Doubtful. Uh, it'll be much further out into the desert. But don't tell my wife because she would flip out. Okay. Pinky yeah. swear. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah, he, he, he assumed that position. And then that was the point where I, w- I said, oh, good. Well, then he's clearly 
he's clearly conscious and he's aware of what's going on and he's able to respond. Um, he uh, deployed his chute uh, at the appropriate time and uh, that was a big that, – that got a big cheer from mm-hmm. ground control. And uh, did you see – did you watch any of the video of his landing? Oh, yeah. It was a perfect landing. Absolutely. He, he – it was like – it was like he just stepped off a step. Yeah. Like it wasn't like he just came from 128,000 feet. It was like he had just walked down a set of stairs. Yeah. I would have looked like a sack of potatoes from a I would have been dragged, 20-foot jump. I would have jump. been dragged at least another few hundred meters. <laughs> like, well, I'm he's, sure. He's an accomplished uh, jumper. He's yes. an accomplished base jumper. Um which is, uh, you know, jumping off of, ironically enough, it's, you know, lower altitudes, uh, you know, bridges and all sorts of other, uh, different physical features. Uh, just, you know, so he's, he's, this is, well, you wouldn't try this at home anyway, but I mean, this is not something from that, that an inexperienced person did. He's, uh, clearly a, a well accomplished jumper and, and he, yeah, it was an absolutely perfect landing. And then he got, as soon as he, uh, came to, to a stop, he went down on his knees and put his hands up in the air. Like, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. I, I, I had made the comment of if I had done that, I would have made the decision. I am never leaving the ground again from now on. People bring stuff to me. <laughs> I, I did my part. <laughs> Like, I'm not going back over the ocean. You bring that continent right. here. I want to go to London. Bring London here. <laughs> no, that so. was, it was an absolutely amazing, uh, amazing feat. And it does have its, uh, it does have a lot of, uh, importance. You, you might not necessarily believe that. Right. Uh, you might it, think of it as simply some sort of stunt. Yeah. But it, it, going beyond that, I mean, there are, first of all, this, this kind of is a proof of concept of something that NASA was talking about in the sixties when they were thinking about, if there were a problem with a spacecraft, would it be possible for astronauts to space dive back to Earth? Would it? Would there be any way they could do that, um, or is that just a you know outside the realm of our our abilities? And they theorized that it would be possible, but they were they were never able to test it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kittinger's jumps were kind of related to that, and a lot of the data that they collected. Uh, during this jump, there was stuff that they could put toward developing more safety features for astronauts as well as space tourists because whoever thought that would become a thing, but now it yeah, is, yeah. you know? Well, um, and there, I saw some, uh, some people talking about the space shuttle program and, uh, of course the, the, the two famous disasters. Right. Um, uh, one of the people that has been working on this is um, the husband of one of the people who who perished in the Columbia accident. Mm. Um, they were too high to have done something like this. They were moving. They were too far out uh, from the planet when the uh, the accident happened, and and they were moving way too fast. Something like Mach 17, I think I remember right. um, reading. Yeah, it was uh, Dr. Jonathan Clark, who was a uh, former NASA flight surgeon. Uh, his wife Laurel. Um, died in that accident. So, uh, you know, he was, he was involved in the process of, of going through the, the safety procedures here. Um, he's dedicated his life to, um, working on safe, better safety in space. And, um, uh, you know, as far as the Challenger incident, well, it's, it's sort of unclear, um, whether they would have been able to get out or not. Um, of course, some of the, the, uh, procedures they developed for the space shuttle were, 
after that as a result of that accident. So, um, but you know, in the future, depending on on the different kinds of missions that are undertaken, you know, either by NASA or another government space agency or by private enterprise, you know, I, I think that this information could prove useful. Um, yeah. You know, in an emergency or you know. Perhaps as a form of space tourism, I don't know. Well, and and, and just learning learning what the effects are yes. of these the the things that that uh, that Felix experienced during this whole jump. I mean, yeah. everything from like, breaking the the sound barrier that no one was really sure what would happen to a person. And in fact, to be fair. As of the recording of this podcast, we cannot be certain that he did break that barrier because the final numbers haven't come in. Uh, he had a – did you see how he would know if he broke the sound barrier? Mm-mm. Uh, his uh, – so so he has a chest plate or he right. had a chest plate on his, on his suit yeah. that contained a lot of different sensors, telemetry, you know, uh, uh, information, GPS, all this kind of stuff. If the sensors detected that the uh, suit had exceeded the speed of sound, mm-hmm. it would send a ringtone to his helmet. Ha. But he said he was concentrating so hard on what was going on that he totally did not – he didn't notice anything. So it may have gone off or it may not have gone off and he would he doesn't know because he was – you know, at that point, I'm kind of just really paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> Especially once you know he he came out of that spin. Yeah. So I'm flying here. Yeah. I got <laughs> hey lady. I'm flying here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there there are a lot of there are a lot of things that this could help with, including designing new types of spacesuits that are uh, uh, effective and are not as you know. We can always make advances in that that realm. We don't want it to be so clunky that you can't maneuver around within the confines of a space vehicle. Yeah. But it still has to have the adequate levels of protection necessary to make to maintain the health and safety of our astronauts. Yeah. So that's an important thing to to keep in mind too. Now, mm-hmm. granted, I don't think I don't think most of our uh, uh, Space suits will necessarily have uh, sponsor logos on them, but <laughs> or maybe they will. Maybe they will. Um, I-, I was disappointed that the 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 spacesuit didn't have wings. <laughs> well, it, it was interesting too to uh, to compare, and, and you know, I'm I'm going in my head here, looking at the the suits that they wore in uh, NASA launches from the 1960s and yeah. 70s um, were so much bulkier. Um, than this. Well, I mean, they were, they were intended for different purposes, but, uh, I imagine the equipment, uh, in this newer suit was far more advanced than what Kittinger wore. Yeah. Um, on his jumps. And, uh, you know, that with the technology advances, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny that in a way they resemble more what Hollywood, um, suggests for, you know, s- space fighter pilots than from what the, uh, the astronauts, the, the actual astronauts from, from our own planet. Um, or yeah. back in the days I'm, when that was so common. I look forward to to the day when we have spacesuits for space jumps that are like the ones in the documentary Star Trek. Yeah, not the not the original motion picture Star Trek, but right. the 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 J.J. Abrams documentary Star Trek. Yeah, the J.J. Abrams documentary Star Trek colon the lens flare. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that, <laughs> it caught me off guard. So yeah, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about this uh, this no, jump no, in particular? No. It was a really neat thing to watch. 
uh, live and and Twitter was going bonkers as this was happening. I saw so many people I know tweeting about this and um, uh, it just seemed like there was a an overall sense of excitement and and not I was not the only terrified person on earth watching this. No. Um, and you can watch the entire presentation as well. It's it's up online so you can go and watch or you can watch segments of it if you don't have you know, two and a half hours to burn, but uh, it's it's definitely something something amazing. It's one of those moments in human achievement where you think, "Wow, it never would have occurred to me that this is something that anyone would want to do." And right. if they wanted to do it, I can't imagine it being possible. And yet, both of those things happened. Yep, it was it was an amazing event, and uh, I'm glad it ended so well. Yes, it was definitely. picture perfect. Yep, yep. It was, so many different things could have gone wrong. I'm glad a, a lot of really smart people worked on this to make sure it went off without uh, without any major glitches. Yeah. So uh, my hat is off to you, and uh, all of the team that was uh, responsible for this is pretty phenomenal. So uh, Felix, go uh, put up your feet, relax. Um, you know, maybe maybe slow down a little bit for a while. You know, you know stop and smell the roses. Don't. And not at 120,000 feet. Keep, uh, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Right. So, guys, if you have any subjects you think we should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, I highly recommend you get in touch with us and let us know, because otherwise, how would we find out? One way you can let us know is by sending us an email. That address is techstuff at discovery.com, or you can always let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw, and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.